0: You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. (laughs) This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they are talked about by a black author, and you can listen. If you are black or not black, that is okay, This week on the podcast, I am very excited to be talking about an 80-year-old book, but it was so good, I don't care. That is Minty Alley by C.L.R. James. He is the first author who gets a second episode on this podcast, and that means it's the second book of his that I've read, and I think it's the second book in a calendar year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true, and it was great. So we're going to jump right in. And this is going to be like the what I, run, what I wanted the podcast to be originally was just me talking about a book with a friend. And then I started doing, you know, harder, like, nonfiction material. So I had to kind of be a little bit more studious, academic in what I was talking about. This isn't going to be one of those. This is going to be me talking about a book that I was excited to read with a friend. And that's you, whoever's listening. All right, so first of all, how did I come to the book... I came to it by reading some of that more academic serious stuff that is Cedric Robinson's Black Marxism. I was reading that he referenced quite a bit uh, black thinkers who were intellectuals who were not African but who also weren't American. And that would be an area of weakness for me. And so he referenced C.L.R. James and that led me to Beyond a Boundary which was his book on cricket which is the other one that we read this year. That in turn led me to his only novel... Minty Alley, which he wrote in 1928. It wasn't published until 1936. And then I didn't know this until I was looking it up today and went to Wikipedia, but it has kind of a weird publication history. It, ha- it was published in 1936, then a new edition in 1971, then a new edition in 1997, and then a new edition in 2021. So I got lucky and got a hold of this new edition. And, you know, honestly, if there wasn't an edition published in 2021, I probably would have been able to find the book maybe on Kindle, but I got like the brand new Penguin uh, Black Britain edition of this book. So anyway, I got really lucky uh, being able to find this edition of the book and being able to find a paperback edition. It's really hard where I live in China to always get a physical copy of books. Not that you need a physical copy of books, but it's nice when you can get one. So yeah, that's how I came to the book and really fortuitous that I was able to get my hands on a physical copy. Okay, so what is the book about? Very simply, this rather bookish middle-class fellow named Haynes, or Mr. Haynes, as he's called throughout the novel, his mother dies, and he owns a home, or she owns a home, or was mortgaging a home, and he he can't afford to stay there and keep up his lifestyle, essentially. So what he has to do is take room somewhere else, pay the mortgage back slowly, let the house out to a family, and like live in a worse place. And he ends up moving... Less than a, I think, I I believe, you know, to the beginning of the book. But I think it's 200 meters from his original home. Which is basically never referenced again. Maybe it was less than a kilometer. It's definitely less than a kilometer. I don't remember if it's 200 meters or 700 meters. But he goes to this home in Minty Alley. And his servant, Ella, is kind of against it at the time. She's kind of like, well, there's this place. But I don't really know if you should go there. But anyway, he goes there. And the people there are of a lower class than he is, and he kind of gets caught up in the drama of their lives. So that's just the basic plot, and then what unfolds over the course of a year is that drama. And uh, I don't really, whatever, it's that, you know, like I usually do, I don't want to give too much of the plot away. I'd rather just talk about what I like about the book. If you've read the book, then I won't spoil too much of the plot, probably, as I talk about what I like. So I'll just do that. So the first thing I like is the character Haynes, and I think that anybody who likes books was kind of a bookish kid, especially as a kid if you were bookish, and you had any form of shyness, you know, even if you were outgoing but you were still shy, there's those people who, you know, have like a, the classic shyness thing where they literally can't talk to people. And then there's other people where they just have aspects of their character which are Uh, Withdrawn or shy Or you're kind of reticent Or you're not assertive Or things like that I completely identified with Haynes In that sense He's bookish He likes reading And he's not assertive And sometimes, you know It's hard for him to say what he wants And part of the novel In that sense Is a Bildungsroman Where we're following Haynes From his childhood Being this kind of bookish Taciturn guy into becoming a man. and for him, manhood means being able to talk to his boss, his superiors, the people in the home, and also women. So throughout the course of the novel, we get that we get we get uh, that transformation from Haynes. But really, I mean, more than that, the reason I like him is just he's kind of, you know, you're rooting for him. He's not a bad guy, but like he's frustrating because it's like, hey, man, come on, just stick up for yourself. And then you think back to when you were were younger and uh, also not assertive and not willing to say what needed to be said in order you, for you to get what you want or needed to have or deserve to have. So we follow Haynes on that. So that's the number one thing I like about it. The number two thing I like about it is every single character in the book, <laughs> besides Haynes, every single character. Guess I'll just try to go through and name the ones that I really like. So the first one would be the nurse, who is kind of a central character of the first quarter of the novel, and then her presence is felt throughout the novel. But probably the her crowning scene, the scene that really um brings home the character of the nurse is when she disciplines her child. So, first of all, the nurse is this super light skinned lady, kind of like I mean, they don't even use the term high yellow, but like I imagine lighter than high yellow, like super, super light skin. And so colorism is uh, pervasive throughout the novel, although it's not called colorism there, but it's obviously very clear. The lighter you are, the higher up you, you are in society. So she gets to work for white folks and, you know, you could almost mistake her for a white person unless she got close. Haynes talks about that. But the scene in which she uh, disciplines her child is ruthless. So her kid's a little white um, skinned kid, and he does something, and then she comes home and, and beats him, and he escapes and is screaming like bloody murder. And then uh, he comes to Haynes' room, and uh, Haynes wants to protect him, but then he's too milquetoast, too passive to, to really put his foot down. Who knows if it would have worked anyway? It's not his kid. But to really get anything out of the nurse or to even cause her to second guess herself, it doesn't happen. She can tell he's disgusted with him. But just the cruelty that she has in the scene and the way she beats her child. And then uh, her little catchphrase um, that she repeats then and then repeats later on at a a very uh, key moment in the novel. Um, Look, doggy, bone, bone. Um, is really good and, like, sadistic and weird. Uh, (laughs) So she's a really well-drawn character, probably the first great well-drawn character of the novel. Then the second great well-drawn character of the novel, uh, in order, I'm going in order of the way they struck me, Is and also these are the most important characters in the novel. There's tons of side characters who are also awesome. But um, Benoit, McCarthy Benoit, he's just your classic, like, kind of good-for-nothing layabout, but he's a charmer with the ladies, and he works enough to get by, and for some reason women love him, and the main reason seems to be is because he says women love him, you know what I mean? He's one of those guys. He's loved what, He's loved by women because he believes women love him, and that confidence is somehow attractive, and it's exactly what Haynes lacks, so that's another lesson he can learn, and he does learn from Benoit is that you know you have to be certain in your movements towards women and confident, and Haynes absorbs this idea and puts it to work. But it you know there's a lot of stumbling before he actually is able to make it happen. And uh, when he doesn't succeed with uh, Benoit's advice, you know he after he succeeded once when he doesn't succeed, he understands like ah well it's okay you know. But before and this is true of i think everybody when they've not had any kind of uh encounter with the opposite sex you put so much thought behind the interaction and then when you finally have it whatever it is you know your first kiss or the first time you have sex once you finally do it then you're like oh right okay so that's behind me and now i can get on to just being normal about it of course we'll still overthink interactions but that nothing nobody overthinks Anything like the first time you overthink um kissing somebody or having sex with someone the very first time um, you really are a mess but yeah so Benoit's advice to him is uh, basically like be firm and it's kind of Don draperish you know so maybe not the best advice but yeah you know make a move and um don't worry about it if you're rejected uh, I and meaning don't worry about it in the sense of don't become depressed if you're rejected not just keep pushing for it but uh, although Benoit does kind of keep pushing for it but but aside from Benoit's womanizing which is not great um, he's also just a really good character he reminds me of so many different people that it's tough to like pinpoint just one he reminds me of a friend I have here but it's like he's just kind of slick talking and kind of fun and then He can also be, you know, his, his, um, his tendencies get him in trouble. And then also he's not educated, but he's street smart. But then also he has these crazy religious beliefs where he believes in quote unquote science, which is like really some kind of, um, some kind of folk religion, which is based off of, it it honestly sounds like kind of some Dr. Sebi stuff. So I don't know. I just really liked Benoit. He seemed to encapsulate a lot of different people that I've known or like kind of interacted with. I'm sure everybody has interacted with at least one of those people. And then after that, probably the next best character, not, you know, whatever, just the next character that struck me is Miss Rouse, who is the owner of the house at Mintiali and who is involved in a love triangle with benoit and nurse jackson uh although she's unwittingly involved in it at least for a little bit um and she's just a great character because she's like this proud somewhat of a matriarch although she doesn't have any children to speak of in the novel but she's this i mean she does but they're not present in the novel but she's this proud god-fearing woman and She's trying to run this household And trying to survive And there's all these trials and tribulations And she prays to God for strength And she just reminds me of So many different folks I've known um, Who feel that same way Or try to get through life that same way And Haynes is You know, just the spectator of all this human drama So he doesn't trust Benoit's science, for instance He doesn't trust Rouse's God And the nurse's cruelty he's also not a fan of So he kind of just is looking at how they all get through life and piecing together his own philosophy and figuring it out and uh, slowly but surely becoming a man. And by the end of the novel, what do you know? He's become a man. But his his development is not really central to the plot of the novel as much as uh, Mrs. Rouse's interactions with Benoit and Jackson is in the first half. And then in the second half, um, her interactions with her niece, Maisie. But... Anyway, the point is the characters are super well-drawn and, like, very fun. Macy is another one. She's obviously central. And then everybody else, too, is great. And I'll tell you what it made me think of more than anything was a bunch of different coming-of-age movies that I really love. One is Crooklyn by Spike Lee. Really made me think of that because, like, it's not just that there's a family or a bunch of people living in a house in this case who kind of constitute a family – it's that it captures the feeling and the vibe of a neighborhood. In Crooklyn, the music is all, like, 60s and 70s, and it very much feels like you're transported back to that era. I haven't seen Licorice Pizza, but apparently that same thing is happening in Licorice Pizza this year. You feel like you're in the 70s. You read this novel and you feel like, oh, I'm in Trinidad, Port of Spain. Like, um, I am amongst these people, and like, I can feel the time, but it doesn't feel dated anyway. Uh, you know, which is a weird thing to pull off. Like, I both feel transported to the era, but the era doesn't feel old. It's kind of amazing. So I like that. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of Crooklyn or other films that remind me of that do that really well. Diner, it's one of my all-time favorite films set in Baltimore, and it's um, Barry... Oh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, I was going to say Barry Lyndon. That's the name of a movie. But that movie, Diner, and then Evie Vietaloni by Fellini is always um, another great example of this where you're watching the film and it just kind of lulls you into the era that it's set in, you know? And that's kind of what's happening here. There's a plot. There's that love triangle I mentioned. There's the conflict between Miss Rouse and... And uh, her niece, Macy. And then there's the coming-of-age aspect of Mr. Haynes. But that's not really what's going on here. What you really like in this novel is just it feels like you're there. It feels like you're there 100 years ago, 1928, about 100 years ago when he wrote it, not when it was published, and just kind of hanging out. And, yeah. And then also, okay, so then the other thing is that there's patois or vernacular or creole or whatever you want to call it throughout the novel, and it's laid on just, like, really perfectly and you know i'm not i have no caribbean relatives ancestry none of it um so i'm not gonna be able to do it justice but he just it's just perfect enough you know so i can't even really there's one on page 19 i'll read it i'm not gonna read it with an accent because i'll just ruin it but i'm just gonna read it trying to make it sound like it should sound but without an accent okay Tell him that you, if it, if it is the doctor he wouldn't listen to, is you he going to hear? So, um, this is great. Cause it's like, oh, you're going to tell him that if if he wouldn't listen to the doctor, he's going to listen to you, but obviously render just much more, um, stylistically, but without like overdoing it, you know? So it's really perfect. Um, and yeah, the vernacular can be a, a very hard thing. And, like, a lot of novels that do the vernacular, even ones that people say do it well, they don't, you know? Like, I feel like uh, it's or it's still just hard to get through. Like, a good example is uh, Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. It's That's what black people from that region of the world sounded like. That's not the problem. There's just so much of it that it's just distracting at some point. But in this, like, I guess it helps that not every single character, you know, there's a mixture of classes here. So, some of the characters talk like that. Some of the characters talk like Haynes, who's all bookish and whatnot, and middle class um, gentleman, as they say there. And then some of the characters just talk in a mixture of both. So, you don't get, like, too much of it. um, Because the fact of the matter is, if you were actually hanging out with a bunch of people who speak like that, you wouldn't feel like it was too much, right? Your ear would just get used to it. But that doesn't really happen when you're reading. I think that's kind of a problem. You can't read a 300-page book and be like, "Oh yeah, okay." I get used to it. I mean, the only time that's ever happened to me was when I was reading um, Train Spotting, and I kind of got pretty used to the vernacular after a while, and even like kind of liked it. But it's really hard to pull it off. Is the point? It's really difficult to pull that off. It's better just to drop it in in doses most of the time. All right. I have one more note on this, and it's a weird one, but I feel like I gotta say it. I only gotta get it off my chest. And that's when I was reading this book or reading up on it on Wikipedia, you know, doing the research, doing some deep research here. It said it was a groundbreaking novel and all of that. And no doubt it is totally a groundbreaking novel, I'm sure. But it's kind of like that Chappelle joke where he's like, don't ever be the first black person to do anything. And the uh, not that we should, not that Chappelle's the best person right now to be bringing up, but I bring him up a lot. You know, he was there for my formative years. But anyway. There's that uh, sketch where he's like, "Don't ever be the first black person to do anything," and it's the guy who has uh, the bubble guts or diarrhea or whatever, and he like he just has to use the toilet, and so he goes into the all-white toilet, and then um, you know he becomes like a an accidental martyr for using a toilet, uh, <laughs> for using a white toilet. It's still funny. Uh, as an aside, it it should be noted that people listen way too much to a guy who makes. Not infrequently, doo doo jokes for like his entire career, um, you know. And I'm talking about people who are a fan of his. Like I, I like Dave Chappelle, or liked him before this recent uh, spate of stuff that he's been doing. But that being said, the guy makes doo doo jokes. I wouldn't base my life philosophy off of him. Anyway, there's a little something to be said about that with this this book here. It is it was the first book written by a black Caribbean author to be published in England. And so a little bit of it will be categorized like that, you know? And I was even thinking when I, when I compared it to Crooklyn, like for me, it feels like Crooklyn, but like, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think it's fine for me to compare it to another black piece of art. But also that's why I came up with Evie, Delonian and Diner. Cause it's like, this is just a good book. You should read it. And the The bonus aspect of it is, yeah, okay, it's groundbreaking for its place. There's, like, a contextual thing that is, you know, important. But also, people should just know. Because I feel like sometimes we put the social accomplishment ahead of the artistic accomplishment. And, like, this is just a great book and you should read it regardless of what you think about the... The fact that it's groundbreaking you're not gonna finish reading this thing and go like oh well that was good but you know the main thing that's good about it is that it was published and it's like a historical artifact that's not what's happening here so that's what i'm trying to get at a little bit of that kind of robs the book of how like alive and good it is and how much of it is just a buildings roman which is vividly you know, vividly explained and the characters are well drawn and like Haynes is a sympathetic character who you can really get behind and relate to and all of that. And then the comedy in it is also just fantastic, you know? And then on top of that, like, okay, fine as a cultural artifact. Yeah, for sure. The fact that it was the first black, I mean, that's huge, you know, so that's, that's awesome too. And then if you are a black person, it's also great to just read like, a book in which characters sound like you, or uh, at least look like you. I don't sound like any of these characters necessarily because I'm not from the Caribbean. Maybe I sound like Haynes, because uh, I'm also a nerd. But um, yeah, you know. Anyway, the point is, is that it was just fantastic, and like, you you should read this book regardless of its its historical importance. That's the point. It's just a great book. So feel like sometimes that needs to be said. Um, I saw somebody the other day on Twitter, uh, which is very rarely a place to find good insight, but this was one. And the the person said, I thought the point of us getting... I don't remember. I don't know what they were referencing, but it's just a good point in general. I thought the purpose of us getting more black shows by more black creators was so that every show didn't have to be everything. And, you know, like, sometimes a great TV show is just, like, a great TV show made by a black person that's fun, and uh, that's good. And sometimes it's super serious, and that's good. And sometimes a novel's a coming-of-age novel that's just really good, and it's good because the characters in there are vivid. And, yeah, it can be more than one thing. It definitely is also a piece of historical, cultural... You know, it's a historical cultural artifact that matters, but it doesn't have to be everything. Uh, in this instance, though, it kind of is. So, yeah, little bit of a ramble there, but I don't know. I just, I just want people to read the damn book because it's good. Read the fucking book because it's a good book. What I'm saying is this. Every year I do like a, a reading challenge by book riot and so i've read a lot of different books this year by a lot of different authors as the reading challenge dictates and a lot of those books are bad they're just bad and i'm reading them specifically because they fulfill a a item on a on a list you know and they're not good and they're only being read by me maybe not by others but by me only being read because they fulfill that criteria and so this book this wasn't part of why i mean i told you why i'm reading this one uh, this book didn't fulfill any criteria, and it it should be read regardless of whatever criteria you're trying to fill. It's just a great book. Um, I'm also tired of that uh, book riot list and don't think I'm going to do it anymore because it leads me to too many books that aren't good. I think definitely people should be reading diversely, but I also think that for me that just means reading different Authors from different places. The genre thing. I don't know if people need to read different genres. I mean, if you like sci-fi, just read sci-fi novels. If you like romance, just read that. If you like YA, maybe you'll become a better person soon. All right. Well, I think that's enough. Yeah. So, next week on the podcast. I don't know why I said next week. I meant in two weeks We'll be reading S.A. Cosby's Razorblade Tears, which I'm very excited to read. I've had it on my Kindle for a while now. I tried to hold out to get a physical copy, and it's just not here in China, so that's okay. But yeah, so we're going to read that on Kindle, and then if you want to listen to me do a podcast very much like this podcast, in which it's just a guy talking about fiction, then yeah, then, then tune in, and then in a couple weeks after that, we'll be doing nonfiction again, which will be more... Uh, studious academic, and uh, for me at least, tedious. But alright, until then, stay safe, stay black, and keep reading.